Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode one of series seven of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If the main purpose of people analytics is to improve business outcomes through improved decisions about people, who better to lead people analytics than someone who has spent most of their career as a business leader? My guest today is just such a person. Piyush Mather is the global head of workforce analytics, data strategy, and governance at Johnson Johnson where his team are helping to drive business outcomes at the same time as improving the employee experience of J&J's 140,000 employees. The title of today's episode is how Johnson & Johnson uses people analytics to drive business outcomes and employee experience. In our conversation, Piyush and I discuss how to set up people analytics and engage stakeholders in the business, why insight without outcome is simply overhead, we talk about examples of people analytics case studies at Johnson & Johnson, including one linked to the business value of J&J's employee wellness program. We also look at whether AI and automation is a threat or an opportunity for HR. This episode is a must listen for anyone in a workforce or people analytics role. HR and business professionals interested in how people data can drive business outcomes and CHROs looking to build or scale their people analytics capabilities. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 7 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Cruncher is a self-service solution for workforce reporting, people analytics and workforce planning. The best thing about Cruncher? It's simple. The solution is designed to guide HR professionals through their data to discover the real story. Cruncher works in over 35 countries worldwide, with large companies that typically have more than 20,000 employees. Learn more about guided people analytics and their unique adoption strategies at cruncherapps.com. That's crunch, letter R, apps, all one word, dot com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Piyush Mathur, uh, Global Head of Workforce Analytics, Data Strategy and Governance at Johnson & Johnson to the Digital HR podcast and video series. And we're doing it live in your new offices in, uh, in New Brunswick. Piyush, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Can you provide listeners with a quick introduction to your background and your role at J&J? Yeah, I lead um, workforce analytics, data strategy, and governance at J&J. Um, I have a varied background. I um, did, I think, a couple of decades of uh, business experience leading businesses around the world. Uh, and then more recently, uh, in the last four years, have pivoted to HR and started to lead a people analytics function within Nielsen and J&J. We're going to come back to why you pivoted, I think. That's <laughs> a good point. So let's start with your time at Nielsen. Um, less so about Nielsen, but more about the fact that you moved from the business, as you said, as a business leader. You volunteered to move to New York uh, to start the people analytics function. So first question is why? <laughs> That's a great question, David. And I get this all the time. And and many times people tell me, like, what's wrong with you? Why would you move from business and pivot to HR? But, you know, people analytics uh, as a function was always close to my heart because uh, I was always passionate about unlocking the power of people. And analytics is something that I always did for my clients for over two decades. So it was, you know, when people analytics came to me as an opportunity based in the U.S. Uh, and setting up that function, I believed it was my sweet spot, and that's the reason I I took it on. Um, and you know, the other thing that that comes to me many times from different people is like, why would you stay with one company for so long? 
when I spent 22 years with Nielsen, I kept moving around uh, the world and, and, you know, it was great exposure working with different managers and, and learning from them. And that, you know, that was a big move uh, for me as well. Um, the other aspect is, you know, when I was uh, running a business, I was leading South Asia for Nielsen. I had 3,500 people in my team. And when I moved to New York, I was the sole person <laughs> setting up that function. So that was a big change as well. So I'd be interested, what was your approach when, approach when you took on the role? Um, you know, how did the background in the business help? And also, how did you select the initial projects that you worked on? And the reason for asking that is I know that a number of new people analytics leaders, is something they really struggle with. What, what, what should I do? Yeah, exactly. And you know, you're, you're exactly right, David. Um, my business background really helped because you know, when I got into the role, moved to the US, didn't really know how to set up this function and what are the kind of things we should be prioritizing. So the first thing I did in my first week, I met the president of a North America business and I asked her what was going on with clients. So the discussion was really around the business. And she told me that there was a lot of churn and clients were complaining and, and she wanted to know what was happening and how we could bring this churn down. And she said that she understands her directs and, and their directs, but she doesn't really know what's happening in the middle management. And when we went back and looked at the data, we saw that the attrition was largely at the middle level and an, at the entry level. And we started working on that project. So it really helped me prioritize yeah. for impact. And, and that's, that's what we did. Um, so I think initially, as you get into setting up a function, coming from leading a large team into just looking at, at key projects, it's always good to put the business lens in front of you and go for priorities that are critical for the business. So you can have an impact and gain some momentum. Exactly. And you know, get some quick wins when the senior leaders are anyway rallying around those issues. Yeah, and as you said, if you've got a president of the, of the U.S. business, if you do something and do it well, then she's going to advocate for you with, with her peers. Absolutely. And in fact, that's what came out of that uh, result that, you know, we were able to figure out high-risk associates. She got her leadership team to start taking action. And then, you know, it led to really good outcomes. So other than, and, and, and other than engaging the business on, on stuff that's imp really important to them, what are some of the other tips that you would give to a new people analytics leader? Either someone coming in, yeah, someone coming in to pretty much start a function. I mean, David, there's, there's so much to learn from that kind of <laughs> yes. experience, right? We're starting from scratch and not knowing where to go. I would, I would call out three things as I look back, and this was almost four years ago. So the first one would be just get going, right? Uh, many times you kind of start imagining, oh, I need this tool, I need that kind of data. If you know the gender of your employees, and if you have Microsoft Excel, you can do people analytics. So my first key learning was with whatever we have, we can actually start doing analytics. And imagine in that example, if you looked at gender by level, you can start seeing where the tipping point is, and you can start taking action yeah. to build women in leadership. So that's, that's a simple way of, of just getting going. The second piece was um, keep building the foundation as you go along. So interesting example, when I came in, I think it was my first month, I called my unit um, form foundation to foresight. And it was a lot about, uh, you know, let's build our foundation first, and then we will do some foresight 
work like attrition modeling. Yeah. And very quickly in three months, I realized that foundation is a journey. And, you know, right now it's about, let's say, workday data. But as it evolves, it will include LinkedIn data. It will include Glassdoor data. So this is a journey that will keep going. So very quickly, in three months, we renamed our unit and called it Foundation and Foresight. Because you can do both of them yeah, at the same in time. Parallel. In parallel. As long as you identify the right business questions and challenges. Exactly. Get sponsorship. And exactly. And the third learning was, um, you know, be resourceful in finding resources. So usually the people analytics team starts small, you don't have people. What I realized is that there's so much of passion about people analytics, not just within the HR function, but across all functions. So I think again, in my 90 days of setting up this function at Nielsen, I realized that there were so many people who raised their hand wanting to get involved in this initiative. And I didn't have the resources or the budgets to do that. So what I did was I formed a community of people, analytics. Um, you know, initially all the HR people who were interested, they joined in. And when I left Nielsen 18 months later, um, that community was 67 strong. Um, it had people from finance, from commercial, from IT, from data science, all putting their hands up and you know wanting to really add value. To the community. So I, I think as you start this function, start with that kind of a mindset, look at whatever you have in terms of data, keep building that foundation, but get going and then be resourceful in finding resources. Great, some really good advice. And you mentioned after 18 months, so you did move from Nielsen and you took on the current role that you've got at Johnson & Johnson and that was a pre-existing function. So what was your approach when you started the role here? Um, and how did you identify the key priorities as, as well moving forward, both, I guess, from looking at the team, but also looking at the, the work that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, I can narrate it as a story. Uh, you know, I came in, got interviewed by six leaders at J&J. And I was going through those interviews. You know, I was reading J&J's credo, and I was fascinated by it. But then, you know, many companies have different things that are on the walls of the company. But when I met six leaders, including Peter Fasolo, our CHRO, um, I realized that our credo at Johnson & Johnson is not just on the walls of the company, it's in the hearts of people. And that you know, was a big uh, driver for me to jump in and take the plunge. Yeah. Um, I came in and you know, this was a four-year-old function at, at J&J at that time. And I was wondering, you know, how do I add value? I had, set up that kind of a function at, at Nielsen, but here it was already up and running. There were 18 people in the team at that time. Um, and we were looking at, you know, how do you add value? So the best way to understand how you can unlock value for that function is to go and meet the business leaders and the HR leaders. So in my first 90 days, I met 60 plus business and HR leaders. I was fortunate to meet our CEO and, and some of his direct reports. Uh, and really try to understand where is it that we can add value as a function. And you know, a couple of themes emerged from those discussions. One was, um, yeah, you do some analytics, but you do it in your shop, you are not focused on my priority, was one piece. Okay. The other piece was, yeah, you give a lot of data, but not insights, I can action. Now, that's something we've all heard for many, many years, right? 
And then the third one was we were just coming out with our workforce DNA, a tool that brought all of HR data together. So there was a lot of effort that was done before my time, but it was coming, you know, or getting close to launch. Um, and, you know, a lot of people told me that, you know, this could be transformational, this can change the face of HR. Um, and then Peter Fasolo told me, um, be careful, don't let this tool go to the graveyard. I think the message he was giving me was, uh, it's not just about the tool, it's about really uplifting yeah. our HR community to become more analytical um, and, you know, to start working on their analytics quotient, as we call it, uh, in J&J. So those were my themes as I came in. Um, and on the other side, I was having, you know, lunch meetings, one-on-ones with all my uh, team members, and I was trying to understand what they were most passionate about. Um, you know, I was asking them the question, what part of your job you'd rather not do? And, you know, that actually told me where their real passion lied. Yeah. And I found that, you know, there were a lot of people who were very analytically oriented, you know, the data scientists, uh, people with statistics background. And then there was another set of people that had commercial analytics experience. They had BUHR experience. They were more the consulting type. So I, I felt that, you know, if we were to give them those dedicated roles, I could address the business need and at the same time, you know, structure the team based on passion. So that's what I did in, in, in the first 100 days. Uh, went back, restructured the team. Uh, we called it advisory services for teams that, that really go and engage with the business yep. and address their issues. And then we had a modeling and insights team that really runs the analytics. Um, and then we had a survey COE team. Later on, we got in the data strategy team um, to, to work in tandem. So that those were the initial pieces that, that we put together. And then, again, you know, like in any function, we found out what were the big business issues. And we found that in China, we were having a big attrition problem. And the regional head of our Asia uh, business uh, talked to us and said that, you know, we should be trying to bring this attrition down. So what are the ways? So we got going in our first six months with yeah. that model. Right. And and in terms of the size of the team and, and how it's structured, you talked a little bit about how it's structured yeah. there. How, you know, how is the team structured and is it centralized here or have you got people sort of out in the, in the regions as well or, or, or local local businesses? Yeah. So that was one thing that was missing at that time. It was largely a U.S. team trying to do global work. And, you know, I have lived in the regions. I have led those businesses. So for me, it was important to build a global team. Yeah. So we started expanding. Now we have a person based in France, one person based in um, Singapore, other one in Brazil. And then we have some people that are not part of my team but based in the U.S. that focus on analytics. So we kind of gave it a, a global view. Um, and in terms of the structure, at that time, you know, it was more about advisory services, modeling and insights. We had a survey COE team that does all our large enterprise-wide surveys. And then we built another team, um, you know, for workforce planning and org enablement is what yeah. we called it because it was about building the analytics capability within the organization. So let's talk a bit about how the role expanded to include data strategy and governance. How's that increased scope help the work of the team? The simple 
thing about data strategy and governance is to have clean data yeah. that is connected. That's it. If you don't have clean data, you're making a lot of decisions based on data that's not clean, and you lose credibility pretty quickly. Um, now, you know, in the last six months, we have data definitions that are very clear for about 700 fields. Um, you know, it's, it, it clearly articulates what is the source of truth. If your name, for example, David, appears in multiple systems, we say this system is the source of truth. Yeah. So now it is clear that this would be the name that we recognized uh, in our system. Um, and then, you know, connecting the data. So we've created a HR data hub and tested some of our data to flow through that hub. So yeah, it's getting interesting with this area. I think uh, it can actually unlock a lot of value because a lot of that manual work should go away. Mm. And, and the team is really capable of doing higher value added work but they're kind of stuck with, uh, you know, doing a lot of stuff in, in Excel and, and, you know, in multiple places and the data not flowing. But I think this is the, the power that, that technology can bring into, into HR. And presumably helps you with the, with the sort of quality, you know, A, the quality, but also things around privacy and, and, and ethics and yes. stuff like that as well. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, you know, we, you know, we are very much in partnership with our data privacy and legal teams every time we look at the data. And um, you know, this is another way of, of protecting our data, making sure that it's going through the systems, it has all the security checks that are required. So yeah, I mean, this also really helps us govern HR data better. Right, and, and provides a firm foundation, you know, and, and for your, you know, I love your insight without outcome is overhead, um, as I've heard you say a few times. I think <laughs> it's actually right, and you talked earlier about moving from just providing insights to providing, or insight to providing action, now you're talking obviously about actually providing outcome, which is ultimately the most important thing. I think it really resonates, um, and it's something that many people analytics teams do struggle with. So what are the steps that you take to ensure that the outcomes are realized at J&J? Yeah, I think, you know, when, when I came up with this uh, insight without outcome is overhead, it was really thinking through that many times as people analytics, we come up with insights, we hand it over to our stakeholders, and we walk away. Yeah. We just expect them to take actions, and we really don't know what happens with those actions, right? Um, so if we are providing those insights, either the actions are not happening, or actions are happening with, real, with no real outcomes, then all of this was a waste. So that's where we started to making sure that if we were to propose any insight, we want to follow it up to see what actions were taken and then measure the outcomes. So we are really involved into that end-to-end -end journey. And increasingly, we, you know, every project we do, we now start to measure the outcomes of those projects. A great example I can give you, you know, and, and this is another thing in HR, it takes a little bit of a while before you start to see outcomes. So in this example, you know, it's like an 18-month-old example and where we are really seeing uh, outcomes from what we did. So I, I think I talked earlier about China and how that business was going through, uh, uh, you know, high attrition. We uh, quickly dived in, started to look at, you know, the different variables, build the model. And then one of the things we found is just to highlight one example. We found that if you did lateral moves, in J&J, &J, you would have people stay back longer and perform better 
And we uh, found that we were actually doing twice the number of promotions versus lateral moves, which means that we were actually not leveraging lateral moves in China. So that became an action that the HR team was going to lead. We measured it through 2019. And we found that in one of the businesses, um, we did two and a half times the lateral move in 2019 versus the previous year. And that brought their attrition down substantially. And that you know, really led to millions of dollars of productivity uh, for that business. And you know, it, so again, you know, the insight was lateral moves. Action was actually they did more lateral moves. Yeah. Outcome was millions of dollars of impact. So imagine if you were to take any people analytics project through that cycle. That's what you know our ambition is. And I think it's a, I think it's a, it's just a good a good ambition, a sensible one as well. <laughs> and it's something that can really help mobilize you know mo mobilize people analytics amongst executives, which ultimately yeah. is what you what you want to do. And then you get more resource, more budget to actually continue growing the growing the team and enriching the work that you're doing. You know, it's interesting. You you say that with with executive sponsorship. So this um, you know project was articulated, and you know the story was put together. And then I was invited to come and speak to our executive leadership with our CEO and all his directs to showcase the story of what is possible. And and I think increasingly in people analytics. You need such use cases to mm. to build that credibility. You know, where can you take the business? Tell us what you can do. This is like a, with a real outcome, you can showcase uh, what's possible. So, what are some of the areas that you and the team will be focusing on in the next twelve to eighteen months? Yeah, like you know, in our journey, I think we've kind of evolved to a level where we are now looking and making direct business impact. Uh, so, three areas that we have called out for this year which we believe can have a, a real impact. The first one is on people experience. So last year we started by setting up our office of people experience. And then you know, we started by segmenting our 140,000 employees. Um, so we know we, we want it to be more customized to their needs, the, yeah. the experiences that they're looking for. So that's how we started. Uh, it's interesting how we segmented this because it was not really based on behaviors. It was more around, um, you know, our our businesses and our our functions, so that every data point that comes in can actually go and add value to each of the segments. So we are able to do that, and then we, you know, did uh, surveys with those segments to understand what they felt about our digital ecosystem. What you know, how good they were with uh, doing transactions in Workday. Um, and then, you know, really trying to understand their end-to-end -end journey. And at every touch point in that journey, how were their experiences and which were their pain points and moments of truth. So we went through all of that. We've now reached a point where we know exactly where we want to focus on in terms of pain points and moments of truth. And we have the team now structured in a way that will really go out and address those pain points. So I think this year there will be a lot of work in terms of measuring the actions that we took. Are they leading to the outcomes that we want? Yeah. Um, so that's people experience. The second one is uh, Salesforce effectiveness. So we did some work last year to really look at, you know, how can we make the Salesforce more effective? 
and you know i mean like one of our businesses is a 42 billion dollar business our pharmaceutical business so imagine that's like a company in itself and how do you enable the sales force to become uh, much more effective and they have spent enough amount of effort in the past with all of the commercial data mm. right so they have looked at access to the physicians they've looked at looked at the markets they've looked at how they're structured but they've really not looked at the characteristics of a high performing sales rep they have not looked at some of the hr variables the amount that a manager spends with a high performer versus a low performer does that make a difference in terms of how their sales quotas are achieved so we we got in with with our hr information and put it together with their commercial analytics function and are really beginning to unlock the possibility of making them even more effective and then the third one is really around skills how do i understand the skills of our 140000 employees and if i can understand them better then i can you know pay them based on skills i can develop them based on skills i can give them personalized content that will be relevant for them i can match new roles that yeah. come up with my own employees like all of that the foundational pieces skills so we we are doing a lot of effort in this space by asking and inferring skills so you know we want our employees to go into workday and you know in the workday skills cloud that will be launching soon and and you know talk about their skills um, something that they might may have done recently but it's not there in our systems but at the same time we are also looking at inferring skills we are doing pilots with with couple of companies to figure out you know how do i infer the skills of our employees given the digital landscape yeah. that i have and the information i have about them and it's so a nice fair exchange of value there so for the employees it helps personalize their career pathways within j and j but for for you and the team it actually helps support workforce planning and you can understand gaps and, and start to think about how you might close some of those gaps precisely precisely and and it's it's foundational like you would require those data sets as the business models evolve when you do more of digital surgery and robotics new skills will be required and you don't know if you don't know what your current base has then it could do or could do yeah and i think what's interesting is all three of those areas are clearly areas that can have huge potential outcomes for the business you know, because sales effectiveness, if you can in, improve for sales by 1% yeah. in a $42 billion business, <laughs> it is a big, a it's, a, it's a big number. <laughs> and, I, and I guess as well, it, those sorts of insights are helpful for sales managers because as individuals, helps to make them more effective where they should be spending their time. And I guess if you can unlock insights about what makes a successful salesperson, then that helps others to become more successful as well. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it, there's individual benefit. There's obviously huge potential benefit for the organization as Absolutely. well. So uh, well, I think we'll have to come back in 18 months and see how you're getting on with those. Um, so if we look towards the, the future of people analytics, I think we're, we're an exciting juncture for people analytics. Uh, LinkedIn have called it out as one of the, the four big uh, trends for 2020. They also called out employee experience as well. And I think we both know the, how closely related they are. You know, what excites you most about the, about the function um, moving forward? I'm, you know, I'm really excited um, in terms of how it can unlock business value. Um, and like we talked about, you know, my past experience, I think bringing in the people analytics perspective into unlocking that value for the business is going to be huge. 
and we have just started that journey. There's a long way ahead of us. Yeah. Um, and we are beginning to see some use cases which are unlocking that value. So I'm truly excited about that. On the other side, I'm also really excited about what we do for the employee as a function. If we understand their skills and give them roles that they are most passionate about, and technology is actually enabling that, data science is enabling that, if that happens and if we are able to do that, we are actually improving lives of our employees. So imagine, David, if you were doing this job that you're doing now and you're so passionate about it, going to all these conferences, putting it all together, you love it, right? I mean, mm. you're making that extra effort. Imagine if every employee, 140,000 of them, were able to do that. Imagine what it does for them and what it does for the business. So to me, I, I think on one side, it can our function can really unlock that value for the business. But on the other side, it can improve lives of our employees. And I think as a function, we should be proud of that, that we are you know, improving people's lives. Exactly, that, that nice little mix of benefit for business, benefit for the workforce. Any concerns about where people analytics is headed or could head? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think one of the things that, that I sometimes think about a lot is how do you prioritize for impact? I think our function will have a lot of demand. Sometimes we will not be able to supply. And, and what are the ways in which we do the most impactful work? I think sometimes we do get bogged down with reporting and, and you know just supplying data, but then that creates the perception that you're a data supplier. Yeah. So how do you make sure that you keep a good balance of all the you know impactful work, but of course you sometimes have to run those scorecards, which are also very important for the organization. So how do you keep that balance? Is one thing that I always think about for our function. Well, this leads on to the, the final question um, that we're asking all our guests on the show this year: AI and automation. Do you see them as an opportunity or a threat to HR? So David, I, I'm the glass half full kind of guy. So for me, this is a big opportunity for the HR function. Um, the fact that AI and automation can help us um, remove these repeatable and routine tasks that the HR function has to do. And then for those people who are doing those tasks, to upskill them, to unlock real value for HR, I think is a big opportunity. Yeah. So for me, um, you know, embracing it fully and making sure that we keep elevating HR is the big priority. And ultimately, it helps HR start to add more impact, have more impact with the business and actually really generate, more, be more outcome-driven. Absolutely. Piyush, thank you very much for being on the show and for having us here in your office in New Brunswick. You may have heard the odd train go past. Let's just say that <laughs> J&J's beautiful headquarters is located quite near to the, the station, so it's been nice to hear some of the trains as well. Piyush, how can people stay in touch with you uh, on, or follow you on social media? I think the best way is LinkedIn. Uh, I do get a lot of uh, people reaching out to me on LinkedIn, and I make sure that I respond to each one of them. So I guess the best way would be to reach out to LinkedIn. Piyush, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank Thanks, you. David. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. 
If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest learning and news on the future of HR, and you can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter there too. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Cole Nussbaumer Naflik on how to do storytelling with data. So don't miss that one, and I'll see you next time.